mighty, mighty God, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for ministry this morning. We thank you for fellowship. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. You're a great and mighty God. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything you've done for us. From the cross to filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. We give thanks to you for your love endures forever and ever. And your truth endures forever and ever. Thank you, Father. Bless your name. Lord, be magnified, be exalted in the teaching this morning. Let us take the words to heart. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. You may have a seat. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 John. This morning we're going to go through, uh, we're going to make it through an entire book of the Bible. How about that? 2 John. 2 John, 13 verses. We're going to look at this passage. Amazing passage of Scripture. John's at the end of his life, somewhere around 95 A.D., and uh, these are his final letters. You know, he wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And these were written at the very end of his life, in his latter years. He, when he wrote this, he was probably the last disciple that was alive. So let's, let's look at the first four verses, and then I'll go back through it, and we'll teach it verse by verse. 2nd John, chapter 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth... And not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandments to do from the Father. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this letter that we're fixing to study. And Father, help us to take it to heart and help us to receive it as the word planted in our souls so that we may grow in our walk with you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Truth Applied. Truth Applied. The word true or truth is used 156 times in the NASB translation of the New Testament. Of those 156 times it's used, John uses it 73 times in John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. But he loves truth. He loves hammering home the truth. And it's very important not only that we, that we know truth in our minds, but we have the truth in our hearts. The word truth, the Greek word is aletheia. It means a state of being real, being genuine, that which is reality. That's what truth is. Okay? And then truth applied. The word applied means applying it to our lives, living it out in everyday life. That's what Christianity is about, guys. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and walking in His power. And letting him transform you and change you in this life. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies Christianity to us. It gives us the fruits 
of the Spirit. So the truth applied, the title of my message, is knowing who God is and experiencing the Holy Spirit's truth and His power in everyday living. And family, friends, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it by doing what you're doing right now, by getting into the Word, getting in and studying the Word, by worshiping the Lord, by, by praying every day and saying, Lord, I, I, I resubmit myself to you today. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. You see, if we're not careful, the Bible can become nothing more than head knowledge. And that's not what we want. What we need is the Holy Spirit to take God's truth from the pages of Scripture into our minds, 12 inches down into our hearts, and then transform the way we live. You know, I'm super pumped. I'm super excited. Come January, the first Sunday in January, we're going to begin a journey through the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. And I'm super stoked and I'm super excited about a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation starting in January. But on Wednesday nights, starting in January, we're reformatting the way we do Wednesday night service. Everybody's going to come here in the sanctuary. It's going to be like a regular church service, complete with praise and worship. And I'm going to spend eight weeks on Wednesday night right here in the sanctuary teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. With Chuck Smith's book called Living Waters as my guide, we're going to dive into everything the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. But family, that's what it is up front, is the Holy Spirit applying the truth of Christianity to our life. We need that. You need that. You need that more than anything, okay? We, we need his truth applied by the Spirit. So let's look at this letter. Let's look at 2 John, and let's talk about what applied Christianity looks like, what, what the applied Christian living that the Holy Spirit does in our life does to us. So let's take a look at it. Second uh, John, chap, uh, not chapter, verse 1, because there's only one chapter. Verse 1 says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, the first question you may have when you look at this verse is, who is the chosen lady? Who is the chosen lady? Who is her children? There's two interpretations of this. One, uh, some scholars believe that John is writing specifically to a family, to a chosen lady and her family, as it says. Some people see this as a metaphor for the body of Christ. But either way, either way you put it, he's writing to, you ready for this? Christians. He's writing to believers who have put their trust in Christ. So guess who he's writing this to? He's writing this to you and me. He's writing this to all believers throughout the entire church age who are chosen and who are children of the king. John is talking about, and in this verse, what he's saying in verse 1, the, the, whole, the whole of the verse, he's talking about his and other believers' affections towards the chosen lady, towards the body of Christ. And look at the two phrases he uses in verse 1. Very important when we talk about applied truth. Two phrases, he says, whom I, what is it? Love in the truth, but all who know the truth. See, friends and family, this is truth applied. This is truth applied, that we love the truth and that we know the truth, okay? Not only is it in our head, but it's in our heart, and it's in the way we live. That is truth applied. You see, believers, as believers in Christ, 
We love the truth. We are passionate for the truth. I hope that's why you come to church on Sunday morning. Because you know we're going to dive into, what did Jesus say in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Because we love the truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, he says, For nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. You know, I, I don't come here because I'm a religious man. I don't come here because I want to know philosophy or I want to hear people espouse their opinions. I come here and I hope you come here because we want to hear the truth. We want to wash our brains. We want to wash our minds with the word of truth. This love for truth and knowing the truth comes from where? It comes from being born again. Being born again. And, and, and again, we love the truth. We're passionate for the truth. And the Holy Spirit gives us this truth as we become born again and we get into the Word. Jesus said in John 8, 32, He says, You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in liberty. I want to have peace in my mind. I want to have peace in my heart. I want to walk in the truth. I don't want to walk in lies. And I don't want deception. And I don't want religion. I want that which conforms to reality, which is the definition of the Greek word aletheia, which is truth. You see, lies, lies bring bondage. Lies bring darkness. Lies bring sin. But the truth, which we all long for, which is applied to our life, it brings freedom, it brings zeal, and it brings passion. So let's be like John and these other believers in their affections for the body. Verse 1, the church. And, and we love in the truth and we know the truth. Verse 2, he says, For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. This is how the truth is applied in us. Simply put, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, who came into your heart when you became born again and you put your trust in Christ. You knelt at the cross by faith. You knelt at the cross and you put your trust in him and you repented of your sins. And you said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. And here he's called, for the sake of the truth which abides in us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, Christianity is about us making our heart, the inside of you, your emotions, your will, your spiritual being is about making that part of your life Jesus' home, Christ's home, our heart, Christ's home. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 23. He says, if anyone loves me, I love this, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. How does the Father and the Son come and make their abode in you? what we're talking about. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and sets up resonance. And He begins to methodically go through our life and clean us up through discipleship, through prayer, through reading the Word. He cleans us up. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart at the new birth. Number one, He forgives your sin. Number two, He gives you a new heart. And then, he begins the process of sanctification. He begins the process of applying the fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in Galatians 5. He begins applying, or Galatians 6, the fruit of the Spirit. He begins 
applying those fruits to our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that the Spirit does in our life. And that is how the Holy Spirit applies the truth of Christianity to our lives through the fruit of the Spirit. So, He is, for the sake of the truth which abides in us, will be with us forever. He's talking about there in verse 2, the Holy Spirit. And He's there to stay. He he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you forever. Look at verse 3. He says, Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Again, truth applied is what? Look at verse 3 in your Bible or on the screen. Truth applied is what? It is experiencing more than just head knowledge. It's experiencing grace, mercy, and peace. You know what these are? This is God's medicine for the sinner. This is God's medicine for the sinner. When we, when we use that phrase, the doctor knew exactly what I needed, God knew exactly what you needed when you were lost in your sin. He, he knew exactly what you needed. You needed his grace. You needed his mercy. You needed his peace. That word grace, what does grace mean? People, you ever struggle with a definition of grace? I have. You know, everybody says, well, you know, grace is God's unmerited favor. But what does grace look like? What, what, is, a, what is a deeper, help me, pastor, understand what grace, that word grace means. I looked it up in Vine's Expository Dictionary. And grace is, it's, the Greek word is charis. It means God's loving kindness, goodwill, pleasure, delight, and favorable regard towards us. That are the the elements of his unmerited favor towards us. It's his kindness, his goodwill. You know, God wants the best for you. God wants your very best in life. And he's given us the the most important thing in life, which is Christ for our salvation. His pleasure, his delight, his favorable regard, applied, and, and the vines uses it, applied to our lives. We need grace. We need grace at salvation, and then we need grace throughout our life to help us in our battle. The second one there, grace, what's the next one? Mercy. Mercy is the opposite of judgment and condemnation. Mercy is, ready for this? Forgiveness. Mercy is restoration. Mercy is healing. You know, God delights for the sinner to come to him and repent and to put his trust in him. And when he does that, he opens up the floodgates of grace and mercy. And then finally, the third medicine there of verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace. The scripture talks about two peace. The first peace is, is salvation we experience is peace with God because we are, we are not holy and he is pure and perfect holy and we are enemies of God by our wicked works and by our evil deeds. So we're at odds with the Father before we get saved. But when we get saved, we have peace through the shed blood of Jesus with the holy, with a holy God, with the Father. We're no longer enemies, but he calls us friend. He calls us his children. The second peace that's talked about in the New Testament is, is peace in mind, peace in our souls. You know, after a person comes to Christ, There's just this overwhelming peace that just transcends all understanding in your mind and in your heart. Why? 
because you're in a right relationship with God. It helps you to sleep with peace at night. It helps you to have rest in a world filled with anxiety because you know you're right with your Lord. He says, grace, mercy, peace be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, and all of these things, grace, mercy, and peace. Look at the end of verse 3. They come to us in what? In truth and love. In other words, it's true that God offers these things to people who put their trust in him. And it comes to us in love because God is love and he loves us. He loves us deeply. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Amazing. Let's continue. Verse 4. Verse 4, he says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Simply, family, here, verse 4, the truth applied means this, that you walk in the truth. That, that you walk in the truth of the gospel. When we think about that word walk, what does that word walk mean? It means to put one foot in front of the other, to step out. It's how we're living our life. It's basically saying, where you go, Christ goes. Where Christ goes, you go. It means that you are committed in this life that you live. Ever how many years the Lord gives you, you are committed to walking according to his truth everywhere you go. What an amazing thing that where you go, God goes because God is with you. And where God leads you in this life, you can follow him because he is with you. We walk it out. We, walking it out, you know, we're talking about sanctification. We're talking about growing in our relationship with Christ, going deeper. We never get to a point in the Christian life where we say, aha, I've arrived. No, that's not how it works. We're constantly growing, constantly moving forward, not in a legalistic standpoint, because your salvation is set, you're secured. If you receive Christ, if you put your trust in him, you're born again, you're locked in. But then the Christian life is about growing. It's about walking. Listen to Psalms 8611. Psalm 8611 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You know, that's the prayer that we need to, ask, that we need to send up to the Lord is God, teach me your way. And you know what God says when you, when, you, when you say that prayer and you say, Lord, teach me your way? What's he going to say to you? Open up the Bible. <laughs> Read the word. Because the, the Bible teaches us his ways. And then it says, I will walk in your truth. You know, God delights in our obedience. You know, our obedience, your obedience in walking out the Christian faith, in walking out, walking and serving the Lord, is evidence of your faith. It's evidence of your faith. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You know, we obey whatever we love most in life. Okay? Bottom line is, if you love Christ the most, you will, you will put him first and you will always obey him. If not, you, there'll be times where you don't obey him. And he says in verse 11 of Psalms 86, unite my heart to fear your name. You know, that's, a, that's the struggle within each and every one of us. There's a war 
There's a battle inside of each and every one of you guys and inside of me. There, there's this battle between our flesh and the spirit. And we got to pray, Lord, unite my heart. Unite that place of struggle to walk and serve you. That, that, that needs to be our heart cry so that we can walk in the truth and fear your name. The Bible says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean we're scared of God, but we stand in awe of God. We know how magnificent he is. We know how big he is. We know how holy he is. And a, and a holy reverence for God will cause us to run from sin. It'll cause us to run from sin and to walk in love and truth and obedience. That is walking in the truth. When we do those things, verse 5, 2 John, he said, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You see, when you know the truth and the truth has been applied, you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you understand Christianity and, and you understand the importance of walking his commandments and, and being in the word, the word stresses to us as Christians the importance of fellowship, the importance of encouragement. And just as uh, we come together, we encourage one another before, after service, we talk to one another. It encourages us because we have brothers and sisters that love us and that care for us and that will speak the truth and love to us. But, but it should cause us to love one another. This is not a forceful love. This is not a hypocritical love. This is a love that we have for one another that we received when we became a born-again believer. Again, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. This is a genuine love. This is an affectionate love towards each other, that we care for each other, and that we're there for one another. And not just the believers within our local church, but all believers, all Christians. You know, whether they're at the Lutheran church, the Baptist church, or the Pentecostal church, or Calvary Chapel, or whatever church they're at, you know, we have that love for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in our community. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. See, this, this thing about loving each other, if you struggle with loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have a difficult time, you know, pray. Pray and ask the Lord to give you a deeper love. And if they're doing something that offends you, you know, let them know. But, but, but build those relationships. Build those friendships. And let's love each other deeply. And when we do that, we know that the truth of Scripture and the Holy Spirit is applying love in our life. Verse 6, he says, And this is love, and we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Again, those who truly love will walk in obedience. Love for God and obedience to God cannot be separated. They go hand in hand. The truth be told is this. We obey who or what we love the most. Okay? If we love Christ more than this world, we will obey Christ. If we love this world 
more than Christ, we will obey the world. And as a Christian, as a believer, our number one goal in life is to love and obey Christ. And, and, the, and, the, and you say, man, I'm struggling with that. I'm, I'm, having, I'm, I'm having conflict with that. And what, what do you need to do? You need to look at the cross. He went to Calvary for you. He gave up his life. You know, it says that the, uh, the guards, when they took him to Calvary, they had him in chains. Or when, and then when they took him before his trials, he was in chains. What held those chains on his arms? What kept him going up that, the Via Della Rosa to Calvary? What kept him going through all that suffering? What kept him on the cross as he was being nailed to the cross? His love for you. And the deeper and, and the more we understand that love that Christ has for us, the deeper our love will go towards him and towards each other. Okay? That's how we grow in our love, is understanding God's love for us, God's love for his people, and it will cause us to love more. So that's truth applied. Truth applied is that we love each other, that we obey the Lord, and that we do these things that we've talked about. Now he's going to shift gears. Look at verse 7. Verses, uh, in sec- here in second, John, second, second Epistle of John, in verses 7 through 9, he's going to tell us how to guard the truth. We got how, how to guard the truth and specifically how to guard the work, the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Look at verse 7. I'm going to give you three principles, one from each verse, one from 7, one from verse 8, and one from verse 9 on how to guard the truth that is within you. Look at verse 7. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Principle number one for guarding the truth of what God does in our life, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, is this. Do not listen to false teachers. Do not listen to false teachers. It says, for there are many deceivers. The Greek word is planos. It means someone who moves around and wanders. What do, do they move around and what do they wander from? They move around and they wander from the truth of Scripture. They distort the Jesus of the New Testament, compromising on who he is. It could be his deity. It could be his humanity. It could be his virgin birth. It could be his death. Or it could be his resurrection. Friend, don't give them the time of day. We believe in the Jesus of the New Testament. We believe in the real Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the Jesus of the Bible, which is the only Jesus there is. And family, we hold, we hold to every biblical truth concerning who Jesus is, and we do not give an inch. And we hold to everything from, from his incarnation to his exaltation to one day his return. We firmly hold and we don't bend. So we don't listen to false teachers. You know, one thing, a guest speaker, you know, I'll, I'll ask someone to come and preach our church. And a lot of times they'll ask me, they'll be like, hey, Pastor David, you know, what, um, what do you want me to preach on? I said, anything between Genesis and Revelation. 
That, that's, your, that's, your, that's your parameters. Between Genesis 1-1 and Revelation chapter 22, anything in between, anything that comes from Scripture, anything that comes from the Word of God, because this is, according to John 17, 17, the Word of truth. This is what we listen to. This is what your pastor submits to, and this is what all uh, pastors and leaders and teachers should submit to completely in all matters is the Scriptures, the Word of God. Look at verse 8. So number one was don't listen to false teachers. Verse 8, he says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Principle number two in guarding the truth is this. We discipline ourselves for spiritual growth. In other words, we want to be moving forwards and not backwards. You know, we want to discipline ourselves. We don't get sloppy in our faith. You know, we don't live in compromise. You know, uh, when we read the commands of Christ and the commands of Scripture, we take them serious and we take them to heart because that is God speaking to us and we don't bend on those. We're always pressing forward and we're not stagnant or sliding back, backsliding, but we're going forward. We discipline ourselves in, in, in prayer. We discipline ourselves in being in the Word. We discipline ourselves in, in fellowship. And we do those, those foundational things in the faith that keep us solid and keep us growing. Those are the things that we do. He says, watch yourselves. In other words, examine where you are in life. Take inventory from time to time of where you're at spiritually. And if you're not in a place you should be, then do those things that will bring you back to where you should be, which is in church, in fellowship, in the word, in prayer, on your knees, in worship. Because we don't want to lose what we have accomplished, but we want to receive a full reward. And that ultimate full reward is when you step from this life into eternity and you see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. Family, that is the finish line. That is the finish line, okay? Until then, we're moving forward. We're growing, and we're helping other people grow also. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. This is probably one the most important verse, if not one of the most important verses in this chapter. This Bible that I have right here, the Bible that's sitting on your lap that you're looking at, or maybe if you're on an app, you're looking at it on the app, but the Bible, the Word of God, is all sufficient. It's all sufficient. It contains everything you need for life and godliness. Now, don't get me wrong. I got some awesome favorite Christian books my, my, after the Bible, my, my second favorite book of all time is called Way of the Master. And I have a copy of it out there in the foyer if anybody wants to buy it because it impacted me so greatly. And I love Way of the Master, and I reference it quite regularly, and, and, and I read it, and I've got a lot of it memorized and a lot of things that Ray Comfort says. But ultimately, though, it's not the Word of God. It's the Word of Ray Comfort, okay? As much as I value him and I, I appreciate his ministry— even my second favorite book, I do not elevate it with Scripture. Scripture stands alone. And here in verse 9, 
John is warning us. John is warning us not to elevate any teacher or any teaching above Scripture. Scripture stands alone by itself. It is the sole, exclusive, only Word of God. And this is how people get sidetracked and they fall into cults when they elevate a person or, or a writing to be equal with the Bible. The, the Watchtower Society, the, 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 the Mormon book, you know, all these false religions, they elevate another writing to be equal with the Bible. And that's where they make their mistake. The Bible and the Bible alone stands alone as the authoritative word of God. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, what he is saying here is this contains everything we need for correction, for training, and righteousness. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading other books, and there's nothing wrong with... Uh, getting some good commentaries. I read a lot of commentaries and a lot of books, but I always keep in mind who their author is. Their author is a commentator. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, theonostos. It means literally out of the mouth of God is what the pages of scripture are. You want to hear the voice of God? Read the scriptures. Understand what he's saying. This is what, um, and this is what feeds us. And he says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. In other words, this is how we have God. It's through the word. This is him speaking to us this morning as we read the pages of scripture and we study it. Very, very important. Uh, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The psalmist says, your word is forever established in heaven. Man, we got to have a high view of the scriptures. The reformers call it sola scriptura, and scripture alone is the written word of God. And nobody or no person or no writing is equal to it. Amen? But that's how, that's how you, that's the, the truth applied comes from reading the word of God, studying the word of God, and the Holy Spirit in us applying the word of God. That is what truth applied is. We've got to have those things in place. And he talked about that back at verse 2. Notice verse 2. He says, for the sake of the truth which abides in us, it's the Holy Spirit working in us, applying the truth, and the Holy Spirit taking from what we study in the scriptures, verse 9, where we don't go beyond the scriptures, but we trust, we abide by the scriptures, that he takes those two together, the spirit and the word, and applies it to our life. And can I just say this? Back, I, I'm, I'm taking a stab here, 06, 07, somewhere in there. That's what, that's what led me and Irene to Calvary Chapel. I was out doing border patrol with the uh, Army National Guard in Arizona, had the weekend off. I went up and visited um, Calvary Chapel, Phoenix, Arizona, and I wept through the whole service. And this preacher was preaching on the rapture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He was, he was preaching on the rapture, and I wept through the service because of his teaching style. He was just going verse by verse, and it made such a huge impact on me. I called Irene from Arizona. I said, when I get back to Columbia, we're going to go find a Calvary Chapel. That's all there is to it. I just love it. I love it. We walked into Calvary Chapel, Lexington. 
heard Pastor John's teaching verse by verse, we're home. We're home. But not only the word, but the work of the Holy Spirit. That is where I believe Calvary Chapel does a really good job, is bringing the teaching on the power and work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, bringing them together. Bringing them together, because that's what we need. We need the Spirit's power, and we need the Word of God to move us forward. That's what I want my life to be about. I hope that's what you want your life to be about, is being Spirit-filled, led by the Holy Spirit, and guided by the Word of God. Amen? Verse 10. Let's wrap up this uh, very short letter, 13 verses. Um, Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. In other words, uh, he's saying for false teachers, man, don't even give them a hint that you are approving of what they say. You know, if they start espousing spiritual truths apart from the Bible that don't sound biblical, that don't sound right, you don't receive it and you don't approve of it. And what we do is we lovingly, gracefully say, bro, I hear what you're saying, but let's, let's turn to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say on this subject. Let's turn to the scriptures. Let's turn to the word of truth. But we don't receive false teaching and we don't give no hints of approval towards those who teach things that are contrary to the Bible when it comes to spiritual matters. So important. Verse 11. For the one who gives him greeting participates in his evil deeds. Wow. Wow. We got to lovingly speak the truth in love. We're not here to make enemies. We're not here to make people mad or, or pee them off. But we're here to lovingly speak the truth in love and say, friend, that is not from the scriptures. That is not from the word of God. And, and, and we, we can't be a, an approval of that or else we're approving of their false doctrine. Finally, verse 12 and 13. He says, Though I may have things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. You know, there's something to be said of ministry um, face-to-face versus in writing. And how many of you guys know when you're face-to-face, it's just so much better. It's face-to-face because you're, you're interacting with each other. You're talking with each other. You're seeing how each other's doing. People can see your language. They can see your body language. They can, um, they can connect with you better. Whereas... Through a letter, you know, you don't have all the emotions. So I think it's very important in ministry that when we want to do ministry with someone, that we need to meet them face to face. We need to be there with them. We need to do life with them. We need to say, hey, bro, how are you really doing? We need to have lunch with them, have coffee with them, have our Bibles open together in our laps and sharing the word together. That's so, so important. That, 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 um, that we're face-to-face, that, that we're face-to-face. You know, there's something that's so important about coming to church, um, not only to be a part of the Bible study, but so you ladies can love on each other, so us guys can fist pump and, and talk to each other and see how, how each of us are doing. 
it's very important for us to gather during the week for, for a meal or for fellowship. And that leads me to the final thing this morning that I want to encourage everyone is life groups. We're having life groups tonight. We have one in Irmo, one in St. Andrews, and one in Lexington. And if you're not a part of a life group, just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider it. Um, it's a great opportunity to come together and do the things that we've talked about in this Bible study. Uh, fellowship, uh, fellowship life groups, uh, three things. It's, it's not long and drawn out. It lasts about an hour, hour and a half. Some of you guys may last longer, but we come together. We have lots of fellowship, lots of t- conversation, lots of getting to know each other. And then we have food, and then we have a short devotion, and we pray for each other. It's very important that um, we make that, we, we prioritize fellowship and community. So if you're not a part of a life group, just want to encourage you, uh, if you want to be a part of one, as you go out the door, look to your left on the information table, and you can sign up, and the leaders will be in contact with you this afternoon. And uh, I know at our life group, we were cooking tacos last night. We got tacos at the Ford uh, Lexington Life Group, so we're looking forward to that. And, uh, but yeah, free meal too. But I think, I, think, I think you need to bring a side, though. Bring a side to enjoy. But anyway, going back to our study, truth applied. Truth applied. How, does tru- how is the truth of God applied in our life? It comes through the Holy Spirit applying in our lives what we learn from the Word of God. It's the, when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, when they intersect, when they, they come together in your heart, the Holy Spirit begins to apply the truth of Christianity to your life. It's not about legalism. It's not about do's and don'ts and rules. It's about being led by the Spirit and letting Him grow you like a fruit tree, producing lots of fruit as the Word is applied to your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for this letter, Second uh, John. And Father, help us, God, to to desire you more. And Father, if there's any areas of our life that need application, that need work, I pray that, Lord, we'll be able to surrender and submit those areas in our life to you. And we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in in the areas of our mind, in the areas of our heart, in the areas of our life. Lord, help us to completely surrender it to you, to bring it to your throne of grace, to look to see what the Bible says about it, and to surrender it to you, God. Lord, help us to love you, help us to obey you, and help us to walk with you more and more each day. Father, we thank you for this morning's study. We thank you for worship, and we thank you for fellowship. We ask, Lord, that you work in, your, work in our lives in the days and weeks to come in these areas that we've talked about. For we praise you and we magnify you. And Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of our lives. And help us to live in complete surrender to your Lordship. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen.